You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Updates on the coronavirus and its effect on the cyber sector. Criminals spoof infection warnings from hospitals. The country of Georgia's voter data has been exposed online. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia seems to have conducted extensive surveillance of its subjects as they travel in the U.S. The Zeus Sphinx Trojan is back. Dharma ransomware's source code is for sale in the black market. And beware teddy bears bearing USB drives. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 30th, 2020. Companies across essentially all sectors are feeling the effects of the pandemic, and neither the cybersecurity nor the larger tech sectors are immune. VentureBeat has some crowdsourced charts from Candor that offer an overview of how COVID-19 is affecting employment, including both hiring freezes and layoffs. One area that's so far performing well, according to the Wall Street Journal, is cloud computing. In general, the cloud has held up well, and cloud providers are emerging as the few corporate winners during the crisis. The journal quotes Matthew Prince, Cloudflare CEO, to the effect that, quote, if we think of the cloud as a utility, it's hard to imagine any other public utility that could sustain a 50% increase in utilization, whether that's electric or water or sewage system, and not fall over. The fact that the cloud is holding up as well as it has is one of the real bright spots of this crisis. End quote. Zoom isn't a cloud provider, but rather a company whose products facilitate telework. Its service has seen dramatically increased usage during the pandemic state of emergency, and with that increase in usage came increased attention, both from hackers and from privacy advocates, from bad types and good types. Zoom has sought to address both, First, it's removed the code that Motherboard reported was sharing analytical data with Facebook. This is the sort of app behavior that's been found objectionable when other products have been caught doing it. Second, the vulnerabilities that Checkpoint last week reported finding in Zoom, vulnerabilities whose exploitation could render Zoom sessions susceptible to eavesdropping, turn out to have been patched, so those particular issues should be addressed. Various cybersecurity companies continue to offer services for free or at sharply discounted rates. Computer Weekly has a rundown of some of the recent offers. One timely and notable instance of expertise applied to direct aid of pandemic relief efforts comes from our partners at CenturyLink, who donated and installed high-speed connectivity for the hospital ship USNS Mercy, now on station in Los Angeles to provide the region with increased emergency medical capacity. An unusually loathsome bit of phishing is in progress. Bleeping Computer reports that criminals are sending spoofed emails that pretend to be from a local hospital. They warn the recipient that they or a family member may have been exposed to COVID-19. An attachment offering more information contains a malicious executable. 
The samples displayed in the report involve a hospital in Ottawa, but it seems inevitable that the scam won't find itself contained in Ontario. A database containing information on essentially all the registered voters in the country of Georgia, nearly 5 million, appeared in a hacker forum over the weekend, ZDNet reports. Georgia's Central Election Commission says that the database contains information it doesn't normally collect and that it doesn't have any evidence that it sustained a cyber attack. The Central Election Commission suggests that the data might have come from or been assembled from another source. Investigation continues. An unnamed whistleblower has provided The Guardian with information that suggests Saudi Arabia has been engaged in extensive surveillance of Saudi citizens in the U.S. The three major Saudi mobile operators, Saudi Telecom, Mobily, and Zane, sent a U.S. mobile carrier a combined monthly average of 2.3 million tracking requests, provide subscriber information, PSI messages, over the global SS7 message system, from November 1, 2019 to March 1, 2020. Many of the PSIs were blocked by U.S. carriers. The SSS protocol, Signaling System 7, enables calls to be routed among different carriers' networks, and PSIs have legitimate uses, like ensuring proper billing, but as TechCrunch points out, the high rate of Saudi PSIs far exceeds anything one might expect from such legitimate use. Members of Congress complain that the apparent surveillance was enabled by the U.S. FCC's inaction on cleaning up known issues with SS7. IBM's X-Force says that the Zeus Sphinx Trojan, quiescent for the last three years, resurfaced this month after an apparent period of low-level testing that began in December. As it had before, Zeus Sphinx is disseminated by malicious documents attached to emails. The fish bait is, of course, coronavirus. The targets are bank accounts, mostly in the U.S. and Canada. ZDNet reports that the source code for Dharma ransomware is now being sold in Russian-language underground markets, with the going rate for the code running about $2,000. Dharma has been used in various forms since it debuted in 2016 under the name Crisis. Since then, it's become one of the biggest turnkey ransomware-as-a-service solutions on offer. The insurance company Chubb, which in addition to its other businesses is a prominent underwriter of cyber risk, continues to investigate the cyber attack it sustained last week. In the meantime, according to InfoSecurity magazine, the operators of Maze have posted in their news site the claim that they're the gang that successfully infected Chubb with its ransomware. Insurance Journal quotes Chubb as saying that, so far at least, it seems that the company's networks were unaffected. One of the challenges security teams face is keeping track of all the devices that touch their networks. Having an accurate inventory of all that stuff and what it's up to can be a daunting task. Daniel Dos Santos is a security research lead at device visibility firm Forescout. We caught up at the RSA conference. So we, we really focus on this hyper-connectivity on connector devices like IoT and um, some of the things that we looked at were specifically building automation systems and smart buildings and how the IoT enters these kinds of legacy systems. We also moved to collaboration systems and smart TVs and, and, uh, and meeting and remote working systems. 
we have been looking at medical devices and some other things. So it's really like a, a wide range of, of devices that basically affect our daily lives nowadays. And we just want to see what is the, the overall security status on, uh, when it comes to these devices. Yeah. Are we heading towards uh, having some, some standards, some frameworks when it comes to these devices of baseline uh, that, we can, that we can count on as consumers of them? Yeah, I think there, is, there are some initiatives in that way, not that I know so far anything that's been extremely successful that is being picked up by, by industry and by everybody. But there are some initiatives uh, in this direction and I, I would hope so. Again, as I mentioned before, I think that just the multitude of vendors, it's, it's something that is, is very complicated in the, in the IoT space, right? Because of all supply chain issues that we have nowadays, also vendors from different countries, different you know, geopolitical reasons and so on. Mm. So that's, that's one of the main issues, yeah. Are, are you uh, optimistic as, as you look forward? Do you think this is a, a situation that we're, we're gaining ground on? I think so. I think there's a lot of people working towards solutions. I think there is a lot of work still to be done. And I think that something like perfect security is probably unachievable. But as I said, there's a lot of smart people working towards very smart solutions. And we can always try to implement these solutions and try to be one or two steps ahead of the attackers, or at least one or two steps ahead of some other targets. That's, that's in the end uh, what you have to do in terms of security. Hmm. What's your advice for folks out there? I'm thinking particularly of uh, the folks in enterprise who uh, you know, have all of these devices deployed around their network. Are there any areas that, uh, that aren't getting the attention you think they deserve? Yeah, like I mentioned, I think the, the basic steps are network visibility. So visibility into the devices that you have that are connected into your network. That's like the basic security control mm -hmm. on top of which you can build other things. So you, you just need to know everything that's connected to your network and to be able to monitor. So network visibility and network monitoring are, are definitely the, the basis. And then on top of that, uh, implementing proper segmentation, proper control of these devices manageability on the devices that you can manage. Now, there's a whole problem with IoT devices that cannot be managed, but at least on those, you can also have monitoring and, uh, and segmentation and so on. So I think those are the main areas that definitely can be, can be improved, yeah. That's Daniel Dos Santos from Forescout. We heard last week that people had been receiving malware loaded onto USB drives mailed to them in conjunction with the phony Best Buy gift card offer. It turns out, according to Bleeping Computer, that there are other scams in progress, also delivered by the U.S. Postal Service. The FBI identified the Fin7 gang as the outfit behind the campaign. The scam is a variation of the familiar lost USB technique long used by pen testers. The FBI says that the USB drives are being distributed in the company of usual bits of swag, teddy bears among them. As we near the close of this podcast, we return to the coronavirus and its effects on our sector, and we're happy to report some good news. It's about Exabeam's Chris Tillett, an early COVID-19 patient who had a severe case of the virus. He's now out of his medically-induced coma, back with his family, and on the way to recovery. May he continue to do well, and may all those similarly afflicted and their families receive healing and comfort. And finally, a new social phenomenon emerges as people stay home during the COVID-19 outbreak, EDS, or Exhausted Dog Syndrome, observed as people take their dogs for many more walks than usual just to get out of the house. 
There's a lot of up and atom pooch, particularly in the teleworking tech sector. To give credit where credit is due, the discovery of EDS must be credited to James Stravitas, Admiral, United States Navy, retired. And all we can add to this news is Admiral, hello, Nobel. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Cybersecurity and Engineering at Webroot. Uh, David, it's always great to have you back. Uh, I wanted to touch base today on this notion of privacy versus security. I think a lot of people conflate the two, but you point out that they're not really the same thing. That's absolutely right. And, you know, um, I think several years ago, David, it, it was safe to say that they were the same. In the essence of, you know, you see the the TLS connection, your HTTPS, and you're communicating securely to your bank. You can enter your banking information. And that was great. Obviously, you don't want someone, uh, you know, wire sharking your, your bank account uh, login or, or, or sniffing that. But what's happened is all websites now, typically, we're seeing about 90% of the time spent on websites is on, are on websites with HTTPS pages. So the bulk of web traffic now is HTTPS. There's a proliferation of, of sites that will give away certificates for free. So that allows you to have that free HTTPS. And it sounds good on the surface. You know, hey, I, I want everything to be secure. Uh, why right. wouldn't we, David, right? I mean, that sounds great. Sure. Sounds good to me. Well, so what's really happening is 
HTTPS secures the connection from your machine to the actual server you're communicating with. And there are sometimes some very complicated things we can do to break that connection and see the data traffic, but it's getting harder and harder. And again, you're, you, you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's, that's great. Now, you know, my information's secure. Well, the problem is the cyber criminals have realized if we can land on the endpoint and we can do bad things on the endpoint and make a secure connection to a server, we can send traffic privately across these HTTPS connections. And the issue is, the bulk of the tools in the network layer that protect us need to be able to see the traffic to make a determination if you're communicating with a country you don't want to communicate with, to make a determination if you're communicating with a known bad website, to make a determination if the data flowing down to you is malware. If you're not able to see that network traffic, a lot of the tools that have been built by this industry don't work. And so what ends up happening is you should feel very good, David, that you are now privately connected to that malware deliverer and you will (laughs) privately get that delivered to you. Yeah. Well, so what's the solution here? It seems like uh, be careful what you ask for. Well, it is a little bit be careful what you ask for. And, And to go back and say, you know, to the industry, let's all stop HTTPS. That's not going to happen. And I always like to have an answer because I like to, you know, pretend like I know a lot. But in, in mm-hmm. this case, I think, David, what we really need to be aware of is this is becoming more and more of a problem. And right now, the answer is to ensure you have a secure, safe endpoint. But I think that's only a short-term answer. And that over time, as an industry, we've got to be putting in tools that allow us to do filtering on the endpoint of websites to make sure people are browsing to where they want to go to. Potentially, we're able to rate these certificate sites. You know, a VeriSign is probably a a better, uh, more reliable security token than Dave Dufour SSL certificate. And so we might Mm. want to start ranking where people get these certificates. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are coming up with ways to, to understand and view how we can be more secure with this encrypted communication. It's just something that the industry really needs to be aware of and start thinking about because a lot of our tools, at least on the network layer, are going to become antiquated over time. How does this affect consumers? So if you're a consumer, again, it's a big deal that if you're going to a site that is your bank or something like that, you definitely want to see that that green lock in, in your browser because that does mean at the very least the connection is secure. But again, People send down phishing sites that might be your bank, but it's pretending to be your bank, and they're going to have the green lock now as well. So you have to be right. more vigilant. And, and I always like to say, consumers, it's better to not click something or not receive a phone call. It's better to reach out. So if you get an email and it says, click the link here and enter your account information, don't do that. Either call mm-hmm. your bank, call the financial institution, or browse by typing it in the address bar to where you want to go, just to be aware of these type of attacks. And, and, you know, just we've got to be vigilant, David. Yeah, yeah. All right, good advice. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. 
Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.